So a few weeks back on my way to a somewhat difficult meeting, have you ever had a difficult meeting? It's one of those things where you're kind of texting and they're like, we need to meet. And you're like, oh, didn't know it was going to lead to that. You know, and you try, I love you, I love you, I love you. And they're like, no, we, we got to meet. And so I was on my way to this a difficult meeting that I knew I needed to say some hard truths, right? And so I'm on my way and my oldest son calls and he doesn't call me that often. But when he calls, it's always exciting because he wants to share what the Lord has shown him with someone and nobody else is available. So he calls me. And, and I absolutely love it. And he began to share with me a recent discussion that he had had um, with a man in his church. And this message had progressed into uh, a Bible study that he was going to give that Sunday. And as he was talking to me, as the Lord would have it, he was speaking into me the very words that I needed to speak into the person I was meeting with. You know how the Lord does that? And you're just like, oh, oh, this is so good. But I was driving, so I couldn't take notes. But I was just like, oh, Lord, yes, yes. And he was talking about this person in their church had become very mystical, very mystical. And, and they kind of like, we're living life on this mystical plane where everything they said needed an interpretation. You know people like that? Like they say, yes, so it is so. And you're like, okay, so it is so. So it is so, S-O-W, S-E-W, S-O, so it is so. You know, I know or it will come to you, it will come to me. Those things are always so hard for me because I could take that in 50 different directions. And I'm just, oh. And he said, this person was just mystical. You know, and they were kind of floating into church and, you know, kind of superior to everybody else in the church. And he pulled them aside and he said, you know, Jesus wasn't mysterious. He, he put on the shoes of mankind, and he ate with mankind, and he talked with mankind. Even his disciples say, wow, you speak really clearly. And when he told parables, he said, this is a story. And we're told that when he was alone with his disciples, he explained to them these things. There was not a mystical aspect about Jesus. He was very real. He ate, he talked, he engaged in everyday life. And when the disciples tried to make something mystical of it, oh, he's saying this about bread because we forgot bread. He said, why are you doing that? I am telling you clearly, beware the leaven and the hypocrisy of the Pharisees. Don't let it happen to you. He corrected them. He brought it back to the reality of their lives. And my son Char was telling me that he said to this person, just be a real Christian. Just be a real Christian. Let the new covenant that Jesus established for us simply work in and through your life. Let this inner working of the Holy Spirit work itself 
out in your everyday attitude and affections and actions and affirmations. Just let it work in and then through you. You see, it's about what's going on the heart will affect everything that's going on in our emotions and in our will and in what we do and what we affirm. The new covenant has brought to us divine power to live a divine life in a very practical way among men. It is not a mystical life, nor is it a mysterious life. Moses, in speaking to the people, said, the words that I'm speaking to you are not so far above you that you say, oh, I have to ascend into heaven to to understand and to grasp this. But he said, they're very near you. They're even in your mouth. They're, They're here right now. In this new covenant, we have a practical life that is infused with divine promises, purposes, and the power of God. You see, we are living the same lives on the same earth, doing the same thing as other people. Well, good things. We are doing these things enabled, empowered by the promises, purposes, and power of God. You know, we eat at the same restaurants. We go to the same markets. uh, We pay the same government if we're living in the United States, the taxes. We live very practically, but we live in the new covenant. And in this new covenant, we have better promises, higher purposes, and God's enabling power. I want to remind you, of this new covenant that we live in and under. Hebrews 8, verses 6 through 12. But now Jesus has obtained a more excellent ministry inasmuch as Jesus is also mediator of a better covenant, which was established on better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, then no place would have been sought for a second, because finding fault with them, God says, behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand, forced them to lead them out of the land of Egypt because they did not continue in my covenant. And I disregarded them, says the Lord, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their mind and write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. None of them shall teach his neighbor, and none his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness, and their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more." Jesus Christ has established by his sacrifice on the cross, his perfection and his power in the new covenant of God. It's established. It is done. We now possess 
by the new covenant, through the new covenant, all that is needed for life and godliness. In this new covenant, we have God's law written not on tables of stone that we have to look at and feel condemned, but now it's written on our hearts and minds. You know, yesterday I was with my brother Chuck and we were talking and he said, Cheryl, you do know that God's law is not moral. It's not a list of do's and don'ts. And we tend to think of the Ten Commandments. It is relational. And when Jesus was summarizing the law of God, he said, it is to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, mind, and strength. What is that? That's relational. And then to love your neighbor as yourself. It's relational. It is showing us how to have the highest, purest relationships with God and with men, but we couldn't do it. We couldn't do it under the old covenant. But in this new covenant, God writes it on our hearts and minds. And he gives us a personal relationship with himself where someone doesn't have to order you. You need to know the Lord. No, I know Jesus. I know Jesus, and you know Jesus. You know Jesus. Years ago, I had to talk to this woman who had done this, done, fallen into this sin. And I went to her house, and okay, I'm gonna be honest with you. She started wearing really suggestive clothes at our church, okay? And she had the goods, if you know what I mean. And so I had some wives come to me saying, can you talk to her? And I said, I can't talk to her unless she comes to me. And I thought I was off the hook. And then her husband came to me and said, will you talk to my wife? I'm, I said, you don't like the way she's dressing? He goes, are you kidding? No. Will you talk to her? And I'm like, no, not unless she calls me. And don't you tell her to call me. You know, it has to be all on her own. And then she called me. But, you know, I had to, I went over and I met with her and she's like, and, and she'd been in leadership and then all of a sudden she had, you know, I don't know what switched, but something switched, you know. It, it, the worst thing to do is to wear a low neck thing to a funeral. I mean, you just don't do it at a funeral. But anyway, she was showing the goods at the funeral. So we were, we, I was talking to her and I said to her at one point, you know what? I don't know what's going on in your heart or mind, but I can only conclude one of two things. Because she said to me, go into my closet. Tell me what I should wear and what I shouldn't wear. And I'm like, I'm not going into your closet. I said, you know, here it is. Either you are Jesus' sheep, therefore you hear his voice, and he is telling you what to wear and you're a disobedient little sheep saying, well, you might've picked that one out, but I like this one. Or you don't hear his voice because you're not his sheep. But he said, my sheep hear my voice. And I said, I'm leaving that right there with you and I'm out of here. It's time for me to go make dinner. And that's how I left. And the next thing I knew, she started dressing modestly. 
And I said, hey, and she's like, oh, Cheryl, I was a naughty sheep. I heard his voice. I felt that conviction. But, you know, I thought maybe that was just me or just some uh, church moral code. But I began to listen to the voice of my shepherd. You see, I don't have to say, wear this and don't wear that. Do this and don't do that. I don't need to do that. We're under the new covenant, and you know Jesus. We walk on level ground as sisters. We each have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. You do not come to the Father through Cheryl Broderson. Hallelujah. You come to the Father through Jesus Christ. And we all have equal entrance. We all have equal favor. We are all wanted. We are each accepted. And we each have the capability to hear the voice of Jesus Christ and to have God as our Father. This is the new covenant. But not only that, he says, and I will be merciful to them. In this new covenant, it's so individualized and yet so corporate. But in this new covenant, we each receive mercy. Isn't that so good? Isn't it so good to wake up and go, yesterday was yesterday, and today his mercies are brand new, and they stretch as high as the heavens, and that we walk in the atmosphere of God's mercy. He loves us. He has forgiven us. And he says their sins are forgiven and I will remember them no more. Hallelujah. He is not looking going, well, you did this right and you did that wrong and you did this right and you did that wrong. No. His mercy is so great. But his mercy is not only his forgiveness towards us, but it's his acceptance of us. It is his hospitality towards us. You are wanted by God. You have not only been invited, you are wanted. He's calling going, you're coming, right? You're coming. How, how far are you away? You're on your way, right? You're coming. You're coming. All day long, God's like, you're coming to my throne room, right? You're going to be here, right? How far are you away? I want you here. Oh, wait till you see what I have. Oh, wait till you taste what I have made for you today. That's what I, that's what he means by mercy. Mercy, wait till you see the good things that I have waiting for you today. I want you in my presence. And your sin is forgiven. It's not remembered. It won't be brought up in our fellowship. It won't be talked about. There's no condemnation. There's no reminders. There's no, I told you so. There's love. There's, do you like that? Does that taste good? I, you know, I love to bake. I love to bake and I, and I love to, you know, like, does it taste good? Do you love it? Is it everything you wanted today? Is it what you were craving? I mean, I just, oh, I get vicarious enjoyment when other people eat my food. It's weird. But I think of God giving us his mercy, going, 
Are you loving it? Do you love the taste of it? I so enjoyed making this for you, knowing that you would be eating it in my presence. So as we come to Hebrews chapter 13, the author of Hebrews ends this epistle, and I love the way he refers to this epistle that he wrote. All 13 chapters, he, he says this word of exhortation or encouragement, and he calls it a few words. I would, Brian would consider my speeches to him just a few words. 13 chapters, just a few words. The author of Hebrews ends this epistle in which he has outlined the superiority of Jesus, the work of Jesus, and this new covenant that we have through faith in Jesus, and then the power of faith through this new covenant. He presents us with a brief overview of what life under the new covenant practically looks like in its affections, in its activity, its divine advantages and affirmation. It is not an impractical life. It is not a mystical or mysterious life. In its ramifications, it is very practical. And we have all received and possessed the power we need to live out on earth among men. All that is required of us, all the divinity of Jesus Christ that will be a light shining to others. The new covenant affects and has affected our affections. What we love and what we don't love because the love of God is written on our hearts. Remember, the summation of that law of God it's relational. It's that you love the Lord with all your heart. It's that you love your fellow man. So one of the most basic signs that we are truly in the new covenant is love. It's love. Paul says you, you can have everything going for you in 1 Corinthians 13. You can have all faith so mountains are removed. You can have prophetic gifts. You can have, we can work miracles. You can preach the most eloquent messages. But if you don't love on the most practical, basic level, none of it has any validity. Love is the absolute sign that the love God is written in your heart and on your mind. This, this is, this is the sign. This is the verification that you are truly in and under and understand the new covenant. It's if you are loving. Why? In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14, Paul says that those of us under the new covenant are being compelled by the love of Christ. That means we are loving what we don't even want to love. It's just happening through us. We're like, but I don't like them. But I love them. 
that God is so working this love in us. D.L. Moody said that when he prayed the prayer, he felt no differently when he prayed the sinner's prayer and he received Jesus Christ until he walked outside and he said he was overwhelmed with love. He, he said he was like, I love you, trees. And he went to hug a tree. He said he looked at every person he saw and he loved them. He loved them so much. He, he said that he would just loved a flower, that he loved the sky, that he loved the birds, that he felt this new, overwhelming affection for all of God's creation. And that to him was the sign that he was in the new covenant. He was in a true relationship with God, his father and creator because of Jesus Christ. When we are in the new covenant and under the new covenant, what we will have, and here is the greatest sign, is we will have a love for and an affection for the people of God, the people of God. In Hebrews 13, 1, the Greek phrase is one of the easiest phrases. I want you to go out of here knowing Greek. It is the word, it looks like M-E-N-O. Looks like minnow, but it's pronounced mano. Mano, Philadelphia, like the city in Pennsylvania, Menno, Philadelphia, I started to say Menno, Pennsylvania, Menno. Menno, Philadelphia, Menno. Menno is the same Greek word that Jesus uses in John 15 when he said, if you abide in me, it's the word abide. Abide in my love, he says, if you abide in my word, Abide in the vine. And it means to live in, in a continued state. It is also the word that he uses in John 8 when he says, if you continue in my word, then you are my disciples. It's the the constant living. And what he's saying is don't let anything move you from brotherly love. You have it. The new covenant is the atmosphere of brotherly love. You have moved into brotherly love. Don't let anything move you out. And again, that word mano is repeated twice. Mano, Philadelphia, mano, which means the fullness or the completeness. It's like Isaiah um, 56, where it says, he will keep him, uh, Isaiah 26, 3, he will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is set on him because he trusts in him. And thank you, you Bible experts. I love that. You girls are good. But he will keep him in perfect peace. That word perfect is actually peace. He will keep him in shalom, shalom. So when you have a word repeated twice, it makes it an imperative, an absolute. In Philippians, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. The repetition means it's an imperative. Continue in brotherly love. Continue. Abide in brotherly love. Abide. Stay in this 
place of love. When you feel your heart moving from the place of love, get back into the house of love. Get back into the new covenant. It is the signpost that we are his disciples. In John 13, he says, by this, by love for one another, all men will know you are my disciples. When I lived in Vista, some of the women in the church, we took a class through the community on how to do stencils. How many of you remember when stencils were the rage? And so you stenciled everything, you know, aprons, walls, pianos, furniture, whatever you could find, you stenciled. And so we were taking a class and we were learning how to make our own stencils. And as we were making our stencils, you know, a friend would say, oh, Cheryl, what are you doing? Oh, I'm doing this. Oh, I like that. Well, you do it too. And we were sharing. And there were some other women and they were like, this is my stencil. Don't look at it. I'm doing this. And the woman who was teaching the class, she looked over at us and there were um, six of us. And she looked at us one day and she says, who are you? And where do you come from? And I was like, why? And she said, because you are the most loving, caring, and sharing women I've ever met. I've never met women like you. I've taught this class now for three years, and I've never met women like you. And we said, well, we're from Calvary Vista. We all love Jesus. And this is what she said. Would I be welcome at your church? And we said, oh, yeah, you'd be so welcome. And it was so great because our car broke down the next day. And my husband had to take it into the shop. And when he took it into the shop, guess who owned that shop? Her husband. It was such a God thing. I mean, God wanted her from, I mean, she was already in the net. He was just pulling it in. But, you know, by our love, by our kindness, by this sharing attitude, they'll know. Not by our intellect. Now, that should be a relief to most of us. Not to our, by our athletic abilities, which is a really big relief. Not by what we eat or don't eat, you know, but by our love. And again, Philadelphia is brotherly. Phileo Delphia. It is brotherly love by our affection as family, as we are all a family, brothers and sisters in Christ. Next, this affection is to be towards strangers, those you don't know. Those we show kindness to could possibly be angels. Is that just amazing? That angels would take on human form, and I don't know any more than that, except for, isn't that amazing? I was, I was at Sprouts, one of my favorite places in the world, and if I was more organized, I wouldn't be there so often. Sprouts is a market. And I came out to the parking lot, and I was kind of in a hurry, and I saw this woman who looked kind of lost, and she said, can you believe this? And she was older. I can't find my car. And I said, oh, I'm, I'm so sorry. And I got in my car. And the Lord said, what are you doing? I said, I'm about to get out of the car and help that woman, Lord. 
And I got out and I said, so, um, you know, I'm so sorry. I, I said, she said, well, and then she talked to me for 30 minutes, 30 minutes. And she was precious. And, and she was telling me this story about when her husband was alive and how she lost the car and she called him up and he was so upset with her. And she's like, like you haven't lost anything and I helped you and I had to put that man in his place. And I listened to this and she had been with her mother and it was a really cute story. And then I started like, okay, Lord, I heard the story. I started to go back to my car and the Lord said, no. And I went back and I said, okay, what does your car look like? And she said, oh, you sweetheart. I said, no, we're going to find that car together. And she described it. And as she described it, I'm like, it's right. Because she said, I know I had a good parking place. I just can't remember where. And, you know, and my thought is, this could be you. <laughs> do unto others as you would have them do to you. And all of a sudden, I spied the exact car she's, and she said, I don't want you to see it because it's not in good condition. And I spied it. I said, you did go to get a good place. I see it. It's second from the front, and it's over on this aisle. Let me walk you there. And I, and I walked her to her car, and she got in. She was like, oh, honey, thank you. And I came back to my car. And I was just like, wow, Lord. I think that meant more to me than it did to her. I think that was the blessing on my day, not hers. This is, this is where we entertain. This is how we entertain angels unaware. This is what the stranger is. Prisoners, verse 3, as if chained with them. And I want to say, he says prisoners. He doesn't say prisoners for the sake of Jesus Christ. He says prisoners. Remember in um, the epistle, Paul talks in, in the epistle to Philemon. He says that he met Onesiphorus, who had been Philemon's slave. He met him in prison. That's where he met him. Philem uh, Onesiphorus was a runaway slave. And in Roman culture, a runaway slave once caught was subject to death. They, they were considered of, of no value and as a rebel. But Paul not only led this prisoner to Jesus Christ, but then he wrote a letter of intercession on Onesiphorus' behalf, asking Philemon to receive him again. We are to remember the prisoners, the guilty and the not guilty. Those who are prisoners for Christ and those who are prisoners because of their own sin. Those who are in chains, chains of darkness and chains of mankind. We are to remember them as if we were chained also. We are to remember what those chains felt like in darkness. We are to recognize the chains we would be under if it wasn't for this new covenant. That is to be our affection for prisoners. I want you freed by the gospel through the new covenant. We are to remember the mistreated and the persecuted as those who share the same body. You know how it is 
When your toe hurts, you can't go to sleep. You know that throbbing? And you can't get comfortable just because it, it could even be the baby toy, toy, the baby toe toy. It can be that little baby toy, toe. I have a fake one. It's a toy. No, but it, you know that even that it just like you bumped it that day, and you're just like, Ugh. your whole body just is conscious of it, and, and you're trying to like look heart mind. Rest of you, forget the toe. It's just a tiny member. Let's just get on. Let's sleep. But the mind's going. I feel sorry for it. <laughs> it just keeps speaking to me, and the heart says, "Well, I'm getting a, I'm getting a little excited about it." And you're just like, "No, guys, get it together. Let's go to sleep. If we all sleep, the toe will feel better in the morning." We are to remember and we are to pray for those in Sri Lanka. We are to pray for those in China. They are our brothers and sisters in Christ. We are to pray for those in Israel. We are to pray for those in Iraq and Iran and in countries that are hostile to the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are to pray for them as we would for a part of our body that's in pain. If your toe is in pain, don't you go, oh, Lord, please heal my toe so I can go to sleep. Lord, touch this toe. Lord, touch my brothers and sisters. We are to love marriage. Verse 4, as an institution. We're to love marriage. We're to honor it. We, we, are, not to see, we are not to separate those who are married. There's a lot of cults. And I was reading about a cult um, that was led by a, a, a woman, um, Anna Spafford. And one of the things she did is she separated married couples and would not let them have marital relationships with each other and told them that was a holier way and that was the way God wanted them to live. It's a lie. Because Jesus said in Matthew nineteen six, what God has joined together let not man separate. This is one of those places where I like the old King James. What God has joined together, let not man put asunder. Don't separate. We are to honor the marriages of others and our own marriage and to give honor, to give time, to give respect to it. And we are to view sex in marriage as right and pure and ordained as the reiteration of God's covenant between husband and wife. Every time you have intimacy with your spouse, you are reiterating the covenant of God where the two shall become one. It is spiritual. It is God-ordained. It is god blessed and God sanctioned in marriage. In fact, I hate to say this, but a Reader's Digest article, don't ask me what I was doing reading it, it's years ago, but it was what makes for the best sex. And it says the best sex is between couples that have been married over 10 years. Who are, or who consider themselves 
spiritual, i.e. Christians, and a Breeders Digest. Isn't that amazing? Because they have this sanctity, they have the respect for each other, they have the love, they have the shared emotional, physical, mental experiences. And they are safe and secure. Then the author says, leave the fornicators and the adulterers to God. Let God deal with them. That's not your job. Isn't that a relief? That's not your job. Stay in your job. What's my job? Honor marriage. What's not your job? Are you a fornicator? I'm going to beat you up. That's not your job. That's not your job. Concentrate on the good. You know, we, we spend way too much obsessing about what is wrong rather than praising and affirming what is good. Years ago, a, a woman came to me and she said, you know, my daughter, she's eight years old. She doesn't want to be a Christian. And, and we're all just working on her. My, my two other daughters are so upset. And, you know, her uncle took her out to lunch. Her aunt took her out for donuts. You know, her dad took her out. And I said, stop it. She said, what do you mean? I said, stop it. She's getting rewarded because she doesn't know if she wants to be a Christian. She's going to keep that up. It's like, if I say I don't want to be a Christian, I get donuts and toys and free dinners and movies. I said, no, give that to the girls that want to walk with Jesus. Leave her home with the devil. You know, the prizes go to those who love Jesus. I said, take those girls who want to love Jesus out to dinner and say to her, oh, I'm sorry you can't come, but this is a dinner for all of us who love Jesus. Oh, I brought donuts. Sorry, the donuts are for those who love Jesus in this family. She tried it. After one week, her daughter wanted to receive Jesus as her Lord and Savior. Concentrate on the good. Honor marriage. Those others, leave it to God. He'll deal with it. You honor marriage. Then what we're not to have affection for. Let your conduct be without covetousness. First John, the apostle tells us, love not the things that are in the world. Don't love the things in the world. Don't let your affections be on the things of this life, the earthly things, to the point where you want what someone else has, or you're saying to the Lord, how come they got this and I didn't? How come they got a two-story house? How come they got a, I don't know, a pizza and they didn't gain weight? How come they didn't? Don't let your affections be on the things of this life. Let your conduct, your way of living, be without a trace of covetousness. In Colossians 3, 5, Paul tells us that covetousness is, an idol is idolatry. It's an inordinate affection for the things of this world or things that can only be found on earth. Things that God has not given us or maybe not yet given us or that God has given to someone else. We need to be happy that they 
have that gorgeous house and have the money to pay the taxes on it. Discontent is a lack of appreciation for what we have. And so the author reminds us that we have the presence and the promise of God himself. When he says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. That's all we need. The presence of the Lord, because when we have the presence of the Lord, we have everything. Because he is the I am that I am. I am whatever my people need. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, for the Father knows what you have need of. We have a heavenly Father who daily gives us everything that we need. Because of God's presence and power in our life, we can boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I'm doing this not by money, not because of what I possess physically or mentally. I am doing this because God is helping me. God is doing this. I'm in this place because God is my helper. And because God is my helper, because God gave it to me, man can't take it away from me. Because God is with me, man is powerless to stop the power of God. They can't take what I have. They can't take my salvation. They can't take my relationship with Jesus Christ. When I was in high school, at a public high school, I remember they kept saying, you know, prayer is illegal, prayer is illegal. And I thought, I'm breaking the law because right now in my heart, I'm praying. I'm praying all the time. I'm praying for you and you and you and you. I'm praying for this test that I get an A. I'm praying. I'm praying all the time. They can't take that away. They can't take my communication with God away. They can't touch that. You know, you can't touch this can't touch this. They cannot touch our hearts and what God has done in our hearts. We're going to live eternally and they can't touch that. We're going to live in glory. Can't touch this. Can't touch this. You know, I, I want to get this. I come up with these like pithy sayings. I see Brian, I've got a new bumper sticker. He goes, another one? Because I do this a lot. And I said, yeah, speak to the cross. You find fault with me, speak to the cross. Because the cross says, I'm qualified, I'm forgiven, I'm loved, I'm going to heaven, and I'm in the process of glorification. That's what the cross says, speak to the cross. You have a problem with me? I guess we should do, speak to the cross. Speak to the, or speak to the cross. I don't know. However we do it, we'll, we'll figure it out. Speak to the cross. Our dependency is not on what we possess to, present, to protect or preserve or bring us into the promises of God. It is simply the fact that we possess the presence of God. God lives in us. Covetousness 
says, if only I had their advantages, if only I had their wealth, if only I had their looks, if only I had their youth, if only I had their health, if only I had their position, if only I had their intelligence, if only I had their giftings, if only I had their father. That's what covetousness says. But under the new covenant, we say, I have the best father. I have a heavenly father who has promised never to leave me, never ever to forsake me, but to always help me. Our boast is is to be on the Lord in his presence that is ours through the new covenant. We are to have affection toward our leaders, verse 7, those who have spoken the word of God to us. We are to love them to pray for them, to be thankful for them. You know, guys, thank God for all the wonderful people who speak Jesus into our life. Thank you. Thank the Lord for Beth Moore. Thank the Lord for Tim Keller. Thank the Lord for Billy Graham. Thank the Lord for C.S. Lewis. Thank the Lord for Chuck Smith. Thank the Lord for Kay Smith. Thank the Lord for all the people, Warren Wearsby, who just went into glory. Sorry. I didn't know you didn't know. Thank the Lord that these people love Jesus and they have dedicated their lives to the proclamation of the gospel and to getting the cross into our hearts and all the ramifications of this new covenant. Thank the Lord for those who are not of our denomination and yet love Jesus so much. Love the cross. Love the word. Proclaim the word. Have understanding in the word. Have understanding in the sciences. Thank Jesus for their faith. Thank Jesus for their lives. Thank Jesus for their giftings. We are to love them and have an affection for them. When somebody mentions a, I like that hand. When someone mentions a Bible teacher, sometimes I'll go like Warren Wearsby. I love him. I love him. Somebody mentions Tim Keller. Oh, I love him. Someone mentions F.B. Meyer. I love him. Spurgeon. I love him. I don't always understand him, but I love him. We need to be so thankful for the people that speak the word into our hearts and our minds and have an affection for them, to love them, not to critique them and compare them. Don't do that. But we are to love them. Cross the board. Love them. Thank God for them and for their lives and the way they speak. We might not agree with everything, but man, what we do agree with, let's put into our heart and take it home and eat it. We are to follow their faith. Let them be an example to us and consider the outcome of their conduct. Let them be an inspiration to us. 
Ultimately, our greatest affection is for Jesus. Verse 8, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Here is another reason that we can be content. Jesus does not change. He is the same. And what he is for someone else, he will be for me. He is the same. What Jesus did in Hebrews chapter 11 for the saints of faith, he is waiting and ready to do for you who believe. What Jesus has done for others, he will do for us. We don't need to be covetous because Jesus is an equal opportunity blesser. As he has done for those of faith in the past, he will do for those of faith in the present, and he will do for those of faith in the future. Now, the new covenant affects our activities. I'm sorry I'm going long, but this is the last one. Consider it a two-parter. Now we're in part two. Under the new covenant, we are not to be carried away. So we're not, you know, our activity, we're not to be carried away with various doctrines. The word doctrine is didascally. It means teachings. We are not to be carried away with various um, teachings. We are to be grounded in the word of God. We are to have our heart established by grace. Now see these other teachings that he's talking about had to do with regulations. And remember how he was talking to them about the regulations and the rituals? That what we have in the new covenant is so much greater, so much um, better than what those in the old covenant had. It is no longer about eat this, don't eat that, which did no good to those who lived under it. But our hearts are to be established by grace. In other words, our hearts are established on not what we do for God, but what God has done for us through Jesus Christ in this new covenant. It's all about what God has done, not about what we do. Because all the good that we can do is of no good unless it's done by the power of Jesus Christ. So we are not to be carried about. Our hearts are, here's the activity, established. Here's a verb, established by grace. Not by our righteousness, but all about what the Lord has done for us. It is not about the foods, what we eat or don't eat. It's not whether you're keto or paleo or Atkins or Whole30. That doesn't make you more spiritual. Those of you who have been on those diets know that it doesn't make you more spiritual. The law, the rules have never improved anyone. No one's ever profited those who are occupied and overly occupied. And that's what happens when you start to, to dwell on the rules, you become overly occupied with them. I, I had a friend and every time she'd read the Bible, she'd be like, okay, I should do this and I shouldn't do this. And I talked to her, she's like, I'm trying to do this and I know I should do this and I should do this and I shouldn't do this. So I'm staying away from this. I'm like, you're putting yourself under new laws and different laws. You're to be under grace. Lord, I see this. This is right. I agree with it. Work it in me. Do it in me, Lord. I give you my life. Just do it in me. So that when it's done, you're, you're not like, well, I did this and that and this. No, you're like, oh man, I'm such a miracle. Jesus is working it through me and in me and out of me. The emphasis is not what I'm doing or have done, 
or going to do. Rather, the emphasis and concentration and consideration is all that Jesus has done because he has given us an altar to eat from, an altar that the priest weren't allowed to eat from. When the burnt offerings and the sin offerings were offered, the priest could have no part of that. They had to be completely consumed by fire. But the other offerings, the peace offering, the fellowship offering, these other offerings, the priest could have a portion of, but not the burnt or the sin offerings. He is saying that offering which the priest could not eat We are partakers in the life of Jesus Christ, the ultimate burnt offering, the ultimate sin offering we are partakers of. We have a part of. When we take communion and we eat the bread and we drink the cup from the cup, we are reminded that We are partakers. We are eating from the altar that the priests have no right to eat from. Under the rituals, under the old covenant, they could not have their sins forgiven, just covered. But we eat from a greater altar. We are sanctified by his blood. Therefore, our activity, verse 13 with Jesus is to fully associate with him. The burnt offering, the sin offering was offered outside the camp of Israel for the people. And so he said, Jesus was offered outside of the camp of Israel, outside of Jerusalem, that he might be the sacrifice for the entire world. But we, he's talking to these Jews, you're going to have to go outside of the camp, outside of Judaism. You're going to have to go outside and fully associate with Jesus Christ, bearing his reproach, bearing his rejection. There's going to be a cost, but our activity is to fully associate with Jesus. I am a Christian. I think of that story I heard about Columbine when the gunman, you know, stormed into the room and he said, is anyone a Christian? And that young girl jumped up and said, I am. And he shot her. That full association with Jesus Christ. Don't you know that the angels rejoiced and sang the moment she entered the gates of heaven? She's here. She did it. I mean, don't you know the rejoicing that went on? As Paul said, inexpressible sounds. Fully associate. This is an activity. Fully associate with Jesus. Then we seek. Here's another activity. The kingdom of God that is to come. We seek the rulership of Jesus Christ in our hearts. And we look for a kingdom, not on earth. That's why we're not covetous. We look for a kingdom in heaven where our treasure is, where our Savior lives and dwells and rules. In Matthew 6, verse 33, Jesus said, Seek first the kingdom of God. 
and his righteousness. And all these things will be added unto you. I think of all those who come to the United States to work and make money and send it back home so their relatives can buy a house, can buy furniture, can buy food, because someday they're going to go back to that place and they've already furnished it. And that's how we are. We've come to the earth to make faith and to use faith as much as possible to build our home in the heavenly kingdom. We don't expect perfection from this world, but from the city that is coming. The new covenant activity offers new sacrifices. In verse 15, that sacrifice is praise to God, and it's continual. I think about how David hired the singers to sing continually in Jerusalem so that you would know you were near Jerusalem when you heard the praise of God, the singing. And he tells us that it is the fruit of our lips, fruit. Fruit grows from a tree. Those of you who mark it might not know that. Fruit comes off trees. So fruit is something that is born out of the abundance of the heart. It is the fruit from the heart. Luke 6.45 says, Out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. When we praise the Lord, it is because of the heart activity. When the heart brims over with love and understanding and a vision of Jesus, it can't help but come out the mouth. It, It can't help but begin to come from our lips, the praise, the thanksgiving for what he has done and who he is. And then we are to be doing good. Verse 16, where, uh, the word good in the Hebrew means benefit, um, in the Greek means beneficial. We're going to be doing what is a benefit to others and then sharing with others, using your talents and your gifts to bless others. Do you know your gift, your talent is not just for yourself, but it's to bless others in the body, to to bless people. These are the sacrifices of the new covenant, not animals, but praise and our giftings, our talents. We bring these to the Lord. We share them with others, and God is well pleased. It blesses God. We make God smile. One of my favorite things was to make my dad smile. I just, well, you know, those of you who knew him knew that wasn't hard. He was like, but to make him really smile. I, I love to, I collected, I said, Dad, give me your favorite recipes that your mom made for you. And so we went through his mom's recipe box together. And he pulled out all of his favorite, one of them was a chocolate prune cake. But he pulled out all of his favorite recipes that his mom used to make. And so every week, I would make him one of those recipes, and yes, the chocolate prune cake, which I wouldn't even touch with a 10-foot pole. But as he was eating, he's like, yep, this is it. 
just like my mom used to make it. And I was like, I was crying. I was so happy. Is it? Is it? It's so gross. I'm so glad you love it. <laughs> but I would make, um, you know, my grandma's cinnamon rolls. Cheryl. I remember one time he goes, Cheryl, I can die now. You've done it. You know how to make it. He's holding it. Grandma's cinnamon rolls. I'm like, Dad, that's not exactly the reaction I wanted. But, you know, these are the gifts that make God smile. That he says, "Mm, this is it. This is good. And God is well pleased with. Another activity, verse 17, obey those who rule over you. Be submissive or cooperate with them. In other words, don't always be critiquing, criticizing, and judging those who are speaking the word of God to you. Recognize that leadership is watching out for your souls. And so cooperate so that leadership can go forward with you with joy. As a leader, we are often privy to information that no one else knows. And we are making decisions on that. When someone is released from the church, others don't know the reason, but there's a reason. Sometimes it's a good reason. Sometimes it's a moral reason, but there's a reason. But then people get involved in it. Unless I know everything, I'm not going to accept your decision. I'm not going to agree to your decision. I won't cooperate with your decision until you tell me. And there is a need to simply cooperate because leadership knows things. And in leadership, we are protecting the guilty, the innocent, and the victims, and the body of Christ. We do not want the gospel of Jesus tarnished. We don't want the world coming in to these things. And so in leadership, we will do things in the best interest of the church and in the best interest of the witness of the church to the world. And therefore, we need to cooperate. In verse 18, the activity of the new covenant is prayer. And he talks about intercessory prayer. Pray for us. Leadership needs prayer. And he says, pray that we have a good conscience that we're free of guilt, that we don't make mistakes, that we don't have regrets, that we live honorable lives and that people can see that honorable life. Obviously, the author of Hebrews believed in prayer, believed in the power of prayer because he asked for it personally. Prayer is not a mystical practice. It is simply talking to God talking to God. There's no method. There's no structure required. We just talk to God whenever about whatever. Moses said to the Israelites, you are the blessed of all people because you have a God that you can talk to about whatever is going on in your life. I'm paraphrasing. We have a God that cares about us and we can talk to him about everything. 
Hudson Taylor said this, it is possible to move men through God by prayer alone. It is possible. It is possible. Years ago, Rosemary Goforth, who was the wife of Jonathan Goforth, they were missionaries for a long time in China and had incredible success in China uh, with the gospel of Jesus Christ. She when they moved back uh, to Canada, she was asked to speak at a church. And before she spoke, the pastor said to her, now don't talk about prayer because we are a very educated church and we all know that prayer doesn't work. And we don't believe in prayer anymore. You know, just tell us what went on in China. And so she sat down and she wrote a message on prayer. And she wrote a book from that message. And it says, how I know that God answers prayer. And in that book, she has her prayer request, a scripture and God's answer a prayer request from, and a testimony of how God answered. It's, it's amazing how I know God answers prayer. God is working. And now he says the advantages and affirmation of this divine new covenant that we have. We are not going to love in our own strength or by our own strength or according to the law, but we do this by the power that is invested in us by this new covenant, by the new covenant we have that Jesus established for us with his own blood. We now have the God of all peace, all peace, all shalom. He is the source He is the power. He owns the entire inventory of peace. And again, this word peace is welfare, victory, prosperity, health. He owns whatever you need to have your best life on earth. He has come to give us life and that more abundantly, John 10.10. The God who has the resurrection power, who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead. This is the same power God releases in us. Ephesians 1, 19 through 20. Paul prays that you might know what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. This is the power the same power that God will work in you. Resurrection power. The resurrection power proves that the sacrifice of Jesus was accepted, that death was conquered forever, and the new covenant was inaugurated and is now in full force. So that resurrection power works in us. And then Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, the one who cares for our welfare to the point of having given his own blood for us. Make you complete, perfect you, give you everything you lack. Philippians 1, 6, Paul said, I am confident in this, that he, Jesus, who began a good work in you, will finish it, will finish it, will perfect it. Philippians 2.13, Paul says, for it is God who works in you to will, to want, 
to want his will and to do of his own good pleasure. So the author here says, working in you what is well-pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ. This is how this happens. We give ourselves more to the Lord. We live in the new covenant and we become more loving. We have the right affections. We have the right activity. And it is God-inspired, God-enabled. This is our advantage. This is our affirmation. This is our assurance in everything. We have the God of all peace who raised Jesus from the dead and Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, working in us, equipping us and watching out for us. The author concludes with a few final notes and their personal notes. And again, he says, bear, you know, thank you for bearing with this short word of exhortation. I don't know what he considers short. I wish he and Brian had the same thoughts except for when he's preaching, appealing to his readers, showing them all that they have through the new covenant that Jesus established. It took him 13 chapters, and he says, I haven't even given you the full story. 13 chapters, and there's so much more. So much more. Then he says, Timothy has been set free, and I am confident that I will soon come in the company of Timothy to you. Now, obviously, he was writing this from Italy because he sends his greetings. And he says, and all the leadership and all the saints from Italy greet you. And his final closing, which is the same closing Paul used in every epistle, grace be with you all. There's no stronger force, no higher power than God's grace working in and through us. The author of Hebrews wrote this letter of exhortation that we might fully understand and appreciate the new covenant that Jesus has brought to us. This amazing covenant. And it's amazing because of who? The very Son of God, the Messiah, the great shepherd of the sheep established it for us. It is amazing because of how the great shepherd of the sheep established it with his own life, with his own blood, taking it to the holiest place of all, the throne of God. And it is amazing because of all we have through it, the forgiveness of sins, acceptance, access to the very throne room of grace, where we obtain mercy and strength to help in the time of need. It's amazing because it gives us a high priest who understands us and empathizes with us and loves us and prays for us. So we are to lit this covenant, this new covenant that he has written 13 chapters on. Truly, truly work on our affections and our activity and our affirmation and, our, and to understand all the advantages that we have because we are in and under the authority of the new covenant. I want you to stand up. Now, 
May the God of peace, who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead, that great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you complete in every good work to do his will, working in you what is well-pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Lord, we thank you that this is your desire. This is not something we hope for or wish for, but this is what you want for us. This is your desire for us. This is why you have given us this new covenant that you might be to us Father and God of all peace, that Jesus might be our shepherd in all things, that we might be perfected, that we might be glorified, that we might be enabled to do your will from our hearts. Lord, I pray for my sisters. I pray that you would bless them, that you would equip them, that the Holy Spirit would continually remind them of who they are and where they stand because of this new covenant through Jesus Christ. Bless, sanctify, use, and glorify your girls in Jesus' name.